T to classify yes, as three letters. Cause our history guys, we got Eric, Ellie, who else? We got Brian, listen every time, you know it's gonna be some drive. Everybody certified, it's pocket rock, ain't tell no lies. You really my lose your mind, can only put this in your time. Absolutely. Let me go ahead and bring us in and then Brian will let you take it away and then we can uh, have our conversation with our guests. So welcome back to the Commanders Declassified podcast. It is L.E., Brian and Eric as usual. Today we have a special guest. Uh, you've heard him before. You've seen him before. Absolutely. We have Bram Weinstein with us. How are you doing today? I love that RFK thing behind you. That is sweet. I like that. Yeah. Nice. I appreciate it. It's not on fire either. So that makes things work as well. <laughs> so, uh, Brian, I'll let you take it away. Get us started. Yeah, Bram. So uh, thank you for giving us a, a few minutes today. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we are vastly approaching uh, training camp here. A lot of things have uh, changed, have happened here for the commanders this offseason. I just uh, wanted to uh, just ask you, you know, what are you looking for, you know, from the team this training camp? Um, you know, there has been a lot of change on offense, a lot, uh, you know, obviously starting with Carson Wentz. So, you know, what are you looking to see from uh, the team here as, uh, as we jump into training camp? Not really sure how they're going to play offense, so I'll be watching practice really closely. A lot of new pieces, you know. I'm assuming Curtis Samuel's going to be healthy and available to them. And with the incorporation of Jahan Dotson and now McLaurin back, um, they certainly have a lot of speed, a lot of versatility, and a lot like what they like to call position flex. Yeah. So does Antonio Gibson get shown as a receiver at times? Is Curtis Samuel coming out of the backfield? Are they doing jet sweeps with Dotson or Samuel? Like, I think there's just a lot of options here. Yeah. Um, and then the tight end position is really interesting with Logan Thomas probably unlikely to start camp and probably unlikely to start the season. There's going to be a young tight end that's going to emerge, likely Cole Turner, but I want to see that too. So I think the offense is really interesting just schematically to watch. And then I don't think we know how the interior O-line is going to hold up until they play real games, but that's going to be an interesting thing as well. Yeah, no. So you uh, mentioned Cole Turner. Uh, sorry, Brian. Uh, this is kind of a John Bates stand podcast. Um, how do you see it? Do you see him kind of taking the starting role early on, or do you think Cole Turner is capable of beating him out like from the get go? I don't know. Like, I, I, that's what I don't know. Like, I kind of thought initially in the spring because of Thomas's injury that, um, that they would probably go get a veteran just to be a bridge for like at least a month, six weeks until Thomas hopefully is ready to come back. Um, I know they like both of these guys a lot and I know they really trust Bates. So there's no, like, I don't know how I would view it. Like Turner is a potential receiving tight end. Bates kind of isn't. Um, so I don't know how you would define like beat out. You know what I mean? Like, I think it would matter what type of plays they were running, but I am interested to see how much time he gets. And if he does emerge to the point where they trust them to start week one. Now, with this, um, you know, Rivera has said uh, multiple times, you know, this third year is a big year, right? They're, the team needs to take a step forward. Uh, everything kind of needs to move forward this year. Um, it, has there been a shift in kind of, uh, you know, the players, kind of their mindset? Are they also kind of expecting big things to happen this year or some of the assistant coaches? Is, uh, is that just kind of, um, you know, what Rivera is thinking? Or does, uh, does the rest of the team actually kind of feel that, like, hey, we've got to do something now. We've been two years into this. We, we've got to figure something out. 
You know, this is a weird time of year because everyone says all these incredible things about everybody. And this is everywhere in the NFL sports in general. So you like you learn to kind of like let it just be noise for the most part and and not get too caught up in it. But I do um, really pay more attention to actions. And they made it very clear, Rivera, publicly, that he wanted everybody to show up to the offseason program. They had position groups that didn't a year ago. Um, and that changed. So the attendance was much higher than it had been a year ago. So that message really got through. There were some exceptions, but not many. Um, and I can only really kind of give you just from access and proximity, a general vibe. And the vibe was really good going into Richmond last year and was really poor going into the season. And I don't know why. And Rivera was saying things like maturity and was being vague about it, but, you know, pointed, but vague at the same time. And it manifested at the beginning of the season. The defense was not anything near what we thought they were going to be. Um, so something was off, you know, really off. This year, and all I can say is that up to this point, the vibe's completely different. It's extremely positive. These guys, when you talk to them even really off the record and you tell them where people think they're going to finish or what they think their record's going to be and all that stuff, they almost, it's, it's like a, uh, how can I put this? It's like they know they're better than what people think they are, um, but they're not trying to get caught up in telling the world that they're going to be better than what they think they are. So I like that about them. I think there's kind of a confidence. Um, that said, like, I think we all know if Wentz plays like he did in Indianapolis or in Philadelphia, they're in trouble. Um, but if he turns back into the quarterback that he was pre the injuries in Philadelphia, I think that they're a playoff team. And I think that they look at their roster and they see themselves that way too. So I think there's kind of a confidence, but not to the same degree of where they were making like pronouncements at the beginning of camp last year and telling the world what they were going to do. Hey, um, as a broadcaster, do you find preseason helpful to help you get prepared for the season as well as training camp? Or is it really just once the bullets start flying, you really start to understand uh, some of the approaches you take? Um, it depends on the team, but in this case, like because we talked about earlier, there's so many changes on offense, and I really just don't know how they're going to attack a team. I really need to watch practice. Like I need to kind of get the hints of like how are they going to utilize guys and get a better sense of. So I'm less at a disadvantage when the games really start because they don't show everything, obviously. But you'll see a lot more in practice than you will in the preseason games. And so for me, this year it's it's imperative. Um, there are other years with other teams where. You've got the same set group of people. It's, you know, very consistent with coordinators. And it's kind of a, you know, it's just a trudge to get through the summer because you kind of know what you know. But in this case with this team, um, I have to be there and I have to watch them. And I'm curious because I really like sincerely don't know how they're going to play offense this year. Yeah, it's, it's going to be extremely intriguing, you know, for fans as well. Uh, Eric and I got the good fortune to go out to OTAs, and it was just a, such a noticeable difference, I think, at OTAs than what we saw, at, what you alluded to in previous years at camp and things like that. There's a certain like aura around this team. Now, whether or not that manifested anything in the regular season remains right. the same, but it's good to see. No, I think like I, I really, you know, I don't, I don't want to. I come off as like being a homer for Rivera, but I really like what he's building. Um, I, I really do. Like, I, I believe in what he's doing. We can nitpick a lot of different decisions if you want to, and I'll be the first to, you know, criticize some of the personnel decisions that have occurred. Um, but just from a, and part of this is he's been allowed to do this, which is different than previous coaches. There's been a lot of, you know, meddlesome activity 
that's really not been the case for him. Um, so that's what's different really culturally for him in and around building the team. So he's been able to do his job. And I think he's done it pretty well. Um, and I like what he's building. And I think that what you saw this spring or what you're feeling when you went out there, the same things that I'm feeling about them, which is just, it's going in on the field, a very positive direction. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to go win, um, but it does feel like there's something that's being built. There's a buy-in. There are people here that the jersey matters to them. Um, and it seems that the core messaging of what Rivera has been trying to build here for two plus years, it seems to be sinking in. And so I like, you know, I'm like cautiously optimistic that we have a playoff team this year. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think, uh, Bram, uh, one of the things that you just mentioned right there, I know we've touched about it a little bit. Um, I think it's really important. You just said, you know, the jersey matters to uh, to a lot of the guys here. And I think in years past that it, it maybe has not mattered as much. So uh, I think that is huge that we've got a lot more players that Rivera has brought in a lot more guys uh, who it, it matters to, right, that we get this thing turned around. So I think that uh, that's a great insight. I I, um, I like that too. One of the thing I, I wanted to ask you, though, uh, to pick, uh, piggyback off Ellie's question about um, kind of how you approach the season and, uh, you know, being in the booth. You've got somebody new in the booth with, uh, with you or going to be uh, this season. Uh, I believe it's London Fletcher, right? Is that yep. Does that take you some time to, to kind of get the cadence of the other person, knowing, uh, especially for them, knowing when, you know, when you're done and they can kind of slide in and, uh, you know, discuss the play, that kind of thing, you know, how long does that kind of take to build? Um, you know, we'll see, you know, like the good news with London is, um, you know, he's been on TV since he retired mainly with CBS. So it's not like he's, you know, not used to being on air and having someone in his ear and being timed with the things that he has to say. So that's the good news. Um, you know, we loved, I loved working with, but the other tricky part is, and not that your listeners will care, but like we have a three person booth. So we're always kind of trying to navigate, making sure that the other two, Julie and now London or previously D'Angelo have the requisite time. And that's hard to do. Like, it's just tricky when you have 20, 30 seconds between plays for both people to, for someone not to get lost in that is hard. So we try to be cognizant of it so that everybody has a voice and a prominent voice in the broadcast. And then, you know, with D'Angelo, he was, he was great. He was outspoken, extremely energetic. Um, and also he could take up all of the time. He was loquacious, you know? <laughs> so like, I don't know how London's going to be with that way. So we got used to that with D'Angelo. And I think, you know, we had gotten into a pretty good pace with him. Um, so that was, you know, that was the tough part about him deciding he didn't want to come back and do it again. But London's a pro. London, I think the fans are going to take to him. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, yes. he's also been locked in in the NFL. So I'm not worried about him being current and up to date. And we are going to do a bunch of like practice games during training camp before we get around to the regular season. And I, I really feel like it didn't take long for Julie D'Angelo and myself to kind of really get rolling in that first season together. And I, I really don't think it's going to take a long time. You know, I think a few practice rounds and we'll start to kind of get the cadence with one another. So the practice rounds, is that just the three of you standing in front of a TV calling a game that's uh, mm -hmm. a previous game? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We did a, you know, when we were auditioning people in the spring, we did that where we watched games from last year. And then, you know, the player who was there sitting with us, um, you know, we had hoped they didn't fully remember what it was. And neither did Julie and I, for that matter. Like, so we were kind of going through it again and calling it and just kind of taking, you know, taking our time to go through a game and call it like it was live.
Did you have a lot of former players uh, audition or did you have a specific list in mind before you uh, even had auditions? You know, like I, it wasn't my choice. It was Julie's. So really and the teams. So um, I don't really want to tell you how many people it was, but it was more than one. So, you know, but okay, London I, was really at the top of the list from the get go. He expressed an interest to wanting to do it, which was really important to us too, that you, you have to want to do this. It is, you know, it's not just showing up on Sunday. It is, you're like, we like to describe it as you're married to it. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, I like being married to it. Julie likes being married to it. You know, we want the player to like being married to it. Cause it's not like my preparation for a game starts on Tuesday. It doesn't start, you know, Friday or Saturday night. It's, it's, uh, you know, it becomes, it becomes everything. And I love that, you know, I love being, having it really dominate my life professionally. Um, but not everybody is like that. And they find out the hard way when they do it, that it is, it's a seven day a week job. It's not just calling the games. And in the case of like D'Angelo, he's, you know, a lifer with football too. So he was totally into it. And with London, I feel like it's going to be the same thing, mainly because he's been in media for the last seven years. So he knows what it's like. It's not, you don't just show up and call a game and go home. It doesn't work that way. Hey, I, I got a question for you because I've always wondered this. Are the, the boosts for the radio broadcasts climate controlled? And the reason I ask is when I see the guys on TV for like Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, they have the scarves on, the heavy coats, the gloves. Is there a reason that those booths are not climate controlled? Is it just for the ambiance of football or what's the deal with that? We try to leave the windows open in every stadium that we're in um, when we call the games uh, with the exception of if you're in an extreme weather situation, either a lot of rain or really, really, really cold, then we'll close the windows. But in general, uh, we like to leave them open because you can hear the ambiance of the stadium through our microphones. Gotcha. And also for us, while we have headphones on, um, and this is what was different about last year than our first year calling the games, because during the pandemic, there was basically nobody in the stadiums. Um, you really want to feel the energy of the crowd. Like, right. I think that they more tell the story than you can. Like, you can hear the energy. You can hear excitement. You can hear the nervous moments. Like, you can literally feel them if you allow the crowd noise to kind of be a soundtrack of the whole thing. And so I find it very important. Like, when we talk about, I want to make sure Julie has time to get in the broadcast. I want to make sure London has time to get in the broadcast. I need to tell you what the play is. Right. Because in a lot of cases, people aren't watching it if they're listening to us. So we have to describe what's happening. But I do think a big part of it is what we call laying out, which is let the crowd tell the story of what's happening there. Like, I don't need to say touchdown. You'll know it. You'll hear it behind me. You know, so that's what's that. You know, it, it's a dance and it's kind of like it's an orchestra and you you learn to kind of play around with it. But if we didn't have access to the crowd noise or the ambiance of the stadium, I think you're missing out on telling the story correctly. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Bram, well, you know, to, to kind of move, uh, you know, slightly away from uh, football, um, you know, one of the things I'm always curious about is how people kind of start their businesses, how they create businesses and other opportunities. Um, Empire Media, um, you, you founded it kind of how did you get to that point where you said, okay, this is something I want to do, or was this something that got presented to you? You know, where were you at in your career that you said, Hey, this is a, a direction that I want to go. Um, after I left ESPN, I decided I kind of never wanted to be restricted by a single contract. 
ever again. Um, and I had always wanted to be entrepreneurial and my business, this business has changed significantly since I started in it. Um, there are opportunities like you're taking advantage of right now where you can just do your own show. You don't need a platform to like allow you to do it. Um, and so I kind of felt like it was time for me to branch out a little bit. I've always had kind of some entrepreneurial side, but I've always been a under contract talent that's always been limited in what I'm allowed to do. Even now, because I'm on the radio, I can't host my own show on my own network because I'd be competing with myself. So I started Empire partially because I thought I was going to do my own show on it. Um, that was before I ended up getting hired by um, 630. Um, but I wanted to start initially just kind of building a podcast network. And it was broad because I have a lot of connections with a lot of you know high profile reporters and hosts and analysts. Um, and then I kind of found recently in the last year or two, I've kind of changed to focusing more on DMV sports just because it's just my lane and I just know it way better, you know, than trying to do a big, broad podcast network. So, you know, we've kind of streamlined our focus to be on shows that cover the local teams and it's been growing and it's been, it's been going really well and it's been, it's been great. And maybe one day I'll have my show on it, but as of now, um, I contractually can't do that. <laughs> hey, well, we appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, we are all consumers of the uh, that network. And thank you for your time today. I know you got to run. We do as well. Great conversation. And hopefully uh, we can uh, communicate down the road. So thank you very much. All right, wait, before you go, do you think they're a playoff team? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Wild card, I, already said, I already said 12 wins. 12? I'm that guy. <laughs> all right. Well, I said – I said there's a path to 12 and there's a path to five, but I'm going to lean toward 12 because it's preseason. Why would you go five? I'm not that guy. Five is five is a lot of injuries. Five is like five we is see Sam Howell play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got our third quarterback, right? Yeah, you, you got to look at the Cowboys. They uh, they'll 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 give you one 12 and five season, and then the next season they'll be eight and eight. The Eagles have a lot of expectation, uh, and I feel like they're primed to let people down. And then the Giants still don't know what they're doing. So I think there's an opportunity for us to uh, to absolutely be in those playoffs. I think we're in the playoffs one way or another. We either steal the division or get in as a wild card, one way or the other. Where I think we're in this year. All right. Yes. See you later, right, guys. Bro. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Commanders Declassified. I'm Eric. My guy Brian is here. Ellie is uh, vacation. He's roaming the countryside this weekend, so it's just the two of us. Uh, the boss is away, so we're going to have a little bit of fun this week. Brian, what's happening, man? Not too much. Not too much. Hope uh, Ellie has uh, a good vacation. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, you and me tonight, man. Yeah, he's getting his cranky old man on up in uh up in D up in uh, New York City right now. <clears throat> I've been following his post. He's like, "Oh, it's so loud at Times Square. It's so crowded. Like, <laughs> it's too many people at Times Ellie, Square." Ellie, man, it's Times Square. <laughs> it's all good, man. Have fun up there, Ellie. We're gonna have a good time That's tonight. Cool. We're gonna chat. Uh, we're gonna chat a little bit about the uh, the uh, 90th anniversary team. Um, they released the uh, the candidates for the next ten to be added to that. Uh, they do it every couple of years. They, I guess, the first one they did was a 75th, and they did an 80th. Yep. Now they're doing the 90th. So they added like 10 or uh, 12 or 13 new uh, candidates. We're going to kind of just uh, touch on them a little bit. Um, think about like, you know, 
you know, maybe debate the prospects, see, see who's in, who's out, whatever. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we're just going to kick it. Uh, we're going to kind of spitball back and forth, just uh, have some fun, talk some uh, commanders tonight. Sound good to you, Brian? Oh, man, let's do it. I'm excited. Let's do this. All right. So the 90, uh, the candidates <clears throat> from the 90th, uh, for the 90th anniversary team, I, I, it's so weird trying to call it like 90 greatest commanders. Like I just can't, I can't right. do it. Right. Cause exactly. it's like, like, we just got the name commanders. It's like, they're not all commanders. So absolutely. Yeah. There's like zero greatest commanders, but so I'm going to go with the 90th anniversary team. I think that has a nice, a nice ring to it. <clears throat> Pardon me. COVID is still kicking my butt. So I apologize for the throat clearing tonight. Uh, all right. So here's the, here are the list, uh, the most recent list of candidates. We're going to start with Joe Lavender, a defensive back from uh, the mid seventies era is 76 to 82. Uh, I don't have all the stats right in front of me. Um, we're going to release a breakdown uh, later this week or tomorrow or whatever. Uh, that's going to have a little bit more, go into a little bit more detail about all these guys. So Joe Lavender, uh, cornerback, 1976 through 82. Alfred Morris, you know who he is, 2012-16 running back. Larry Pecatello, uh, co-defensive coordinator uh, during the Gibbs era. Him and Richie Pettibone uh, rocked a house with those great defenses. Uh, Kurt Cousins, no, Kirk, of course, Cousins, uh, quarterback. We know him. Steven Davis, uh, running back uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, our guy Trent Williams, uh, the GOAT left tackle. Uh, Chip Miller, the kicker from the Super Bowl years. Mike Absolutely. Sellers. Mike Sellers. What do you think about that? Well, we'll get to it, but Mike Sellers. <laughs> uh, fullback uh, from 98 to 2000, then 04 to 11. London Fletcher, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, Laverne Torgerson, good old Torgy. He's a defensive coach and player uh, from the Golden Ages. Say say that name again. Laverne Torgerson. Oh, man. He's a, uh, have you seen the picture of him? He looks like if you said anything about his first name, he would just beat you to death with his bare hands. <laughs> that that sounds like an alias. That doesn't even sound like a real name. Laverne Tor uh, uh, nickname was Torgy, which is a great nickname. Uh, and then rounding out the list, we've got uh, Chris Cooley, uh, tight end, Robert Griffin III, Daryl Grant, defensive tackle from the uh, 80s, D'Angelo Hall, defensive back, defensive back, Champ Bailey, and our guy Santana Moss. So that's a, that's a mouthful of players there. Um, so hearing that, what are your first thoughts on this, Brian? Uh, my first thoughts are there are, I don't know, maybe, you know, just with you saying those, maybe like seven or eight that I think are just surefire locks. Those guys should be on there. Absolutely. But then there's like three or four guys who just shouldn't be on there. How their names got put in there. I don't know. And then there's probably like four or five guys where I'm like, who, you know, um, you know, Torgy. I, I'm I'm glad he's not around because it uh, it sounds like he's a very bad bad man, uh, but uh, I I really don't know him or have you know obviously haven't seen him play or have heard much about him. So there's a couple of guys I just don't know. I mean I'm 39, so I'm probably just too young to to know about some of these guys. But um, I think there are some certain locks. There's some guys I'm like, wait, what? Why are they on here? And then some guys I just don't know enough about. Yeah. So this kind of thing. Uh, to me, you know, it's released every 10 years and it's a fan poll. So I think recency bias is going to play a huge part in it. Yeah. So for that reason, you, you've got guys like Joe Lavender, who if you look at his numbers, he's got he's a he was a legit corner in the right. NFL. He yep. was a pro bowler. He's a really good player. Um, he's got unfortunately like tackles weren't an official stat back then. So it's hard to, to, to gauge a little bit of that. But like with him, he's got like 29 interceptions for his career. So That's he's okay. like a he was a really good player. Yeah. But, you know, he played in the 70s and he played, you know, the people that, you know, watched him play and remember him don't, you know, probably vote in online polls very often. And you think like maybe with somebody like him, 
you probably have had a better chance to get on in previous seasons. Exactly. But I think you just said something that was kind of important there. He played in uh, the 70s. You have 29 interceptions uh, during that decade. That's a lot. That's probably like 60 now because, yeah. you know, uh, they were still running the football and running a lot. So the fact that he was able to get 29 uh, in that decade um, says a lot about the player he was. So, you know, somebody like that, absolutely, he needs to be on there. But like you said, there probably is, you know, a, a little bit tougher for those guys because uh, the people who saw him play, you know, probably aren't lining up to vote online in a poll or something like that as well, too. But uh, by all means, uh, he should be on there. Uh, he's got the resume to back that up. Uh, somebody like uh, a Mike Sellers, maybe not so much uh, of the resume to back that up. Yeah, Sellers, uh, it's a weird uh, – and I don't – first of all, I, I really want to stress that I don't want to make fun of anybody – well, maybe not everybody, but I don't make fun of – most of the players on this list were – you know, have a, a real case. Like, you could make a case yeah. for a lot of – and I don't want to, like, you know, poo-poo on somebody's career because Mike Sellers yeah. played, like, 15 years in the NFL. Oh. The dude had a great career. But – in a good player. In, in my opinion, like I forgot about him as soon as he retired. That's kind of where I'm at. Like he was a very good player here. He was a yeah, pro bowler once or twice, um, yeah. made the switch. He was a tight end. Then he was a fullback, he played a little H back uh, yeah. when Gibbs was here. He did, he did it all. Yeah. But like, when you think of like the greatest players in franchise history, like that would, I mean, I could be here for yeah. three hours talking to you and never come up with Mike Sellers. No offense exactly. to him. Yeah. It's just like you're talking about the greatest players in history. So it's it's a, that yeah, that was a weird choice for the list. Yeah. Um yeah, anybody else stand out like jump out at you? Um it, uh, you know, I I, th I think the obvious one which uh, was a, a late addition is uh, is the Trent Williams one, right? You know, play on the field Trent Williams is one of the better left tackles that we've seen in football in what I don't know the last several decades. I mean, he's been really really good. Um, you know, obviously you, you've got to, you've got to look at some of the off the field stuff and how he exited was not as great. So I can understand, you know, there, there was a lot of animosity, you know, and how he left, he accused the team of a whole bunch of things, um, you know, about uh, some mistreatment. I know Bruce Allen uh, he tried to, uh, to, to open an investigation and Trent uh, Williams backed off of those, uh, those claims as well. So there was a lot of uh, animosity on how he left it. But from play on the field, he is a no-brainer. I mean, he even now, you know, with the 49ers, he is, if not the best, he's right there uh, uh, with the uh, the best left tackle in football. So I'm glad he has made it on there. Um, just from resume alone, he should be on there. But I can understand why he was not. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, they say time heals all wounds. Maybe, you know, if we were adding him in another five years or in another 10 years, you know, everybody would have forgot about that, and that would be cool. But uh, I, I'm okay with it, but I also do understand why he got left off initially. Yeah, I don't understand at all. There's no excuse for that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, the, he's easily the best player on the team over the past decade, even above Tressway, yes. who I love. Yes. So, and <laughs> on his way out – on his way out, he made it clear to say, look, look, I have respect for the organization. I love the fans. I would like to come back and be in the ring of fame one day. Like I want to be like, I don't want to dis. you know, he didn't want to distance himself. I think it's just the only like legit excuse for leaving him off would be maybe. And I don't think this is the case. Maybe it's because he's still playing in the NFL. It's the only thing I can think of, but Ryan Kerrigan, I don't think is retired yet either. So no, nope, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um, so I, 
and this is one of those things where I, you know, I think we talked about it on a previous pod with Jason Wright and uh, his group. Um, is the you know, and these are Jason Wright's words: lack of institutional knowledge. When they did the Sean Taylor celebration, and it, it seemed kind of haphazard of uh, how everything was put together. You know, he had come out and said afterwards there was a lack of institutional knowledge. Right? We just didn't know how much he meant uh, to the fan base. So. I think this may be another instance of that lack of institutional knowledge. And, uh, you know, Jason Wright just didn't know how much Trent meant to, uh, you know, to the fan base and to the organization, especially, you know, these last, you know, 10 plus years, uh, you know, what Trent has done. So, uh, you know, I think it may may fall along in uh, something like that. No, <clears throat> no, <laughs> I'm sorry. That excuse is wearing that, man. He's been here two years now. He's going into his third year with the team. It's time. Yeah. That he's got to get over that. That's not an excuse anymore. Yeah. He has to, this is, he's the team president. He's got to get this stuff right. And yeah, I, I just, it feels like, yeah, it feels like the wounds are still open there with Trent. And I think the team left him off on purpose. And I think it's just, that's just a Bush league thing to do. Like I, I don't, I don't see any reason the best player on the team over the past 10 years doesn't get this when you've got guys like no offense, Mike Sellers yeah. that, are, that are here and Larry Pecatello, an assistant defensive coordinator from 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You've got those guys on the list, but you don't have the best player, like literally the best player, one of the best players in the league, the best player on your team easily. Yeah, I just oh, I hate it. So the other the other late addition to that because of fan backlash, this yeah. one bugs me more is Robert Griffin, the third. Do you feel like Robert Griffin, the third deserves a spot on this ballot let alone the 90 greatest players. So based off of his on-field production, which was essentially one year, right? Like I, I, I know he played in 2013, 2014, some other years, but just one year of play. Um, no, uh, that one year of production, while excellent, it was awesome. It was just one year. I mean, we've had other guys who performed for one year and, uh, you know, they're not on the list. But I think his impact goes a little bit more. I mean, we were at a point where, you know, we thought he was going to be more. It really re-energized a, a fan base, which, you know, it quickly evaporated after that because he, he his play was very poor. Um, so I, I can understand why it is a little tough. But for his play on the field, no, he should not be on the uh, the ninety greatest. Uh, I mean, they're just one year. I mean, that's that's not enough. You need more. But I understand there was an importance to uh, his play that uh, also echoed off the field as well too. That first year. Mm, yeah, I think he's. This is probably going to get me some hate on the twitters, uh, but I'm back on. By the way, I've been on there for like three days. Um, <clears throat> if he, he's to me, he's in the Timmy Smith category of of player yeah he's, a, he's just a one-off one amazing performance his you know he stretched it out yeah but i mean and it, what it really speaks to is how bad the organization has been for the past however many years because like for a large chunk of the fan base we're talking about people pretty much everybody under 30 2012 is the best team they've ever seen put on the field for this yeah. group and that and was a 10 and 6 team that lost in the first round of the playoffs and that was the first and that makes me a little bit sad <clears throat> it that the, that's the best team that a lot of people have known. It hurts, man, because like I just the fact that he and the fact that he got on here because of fan backlash just really scares me to the point where they're going to put him on the list because he's going to get voted on. Like he's going to make that group because uh, so many people complained that he wasn't on the list yeah. and he just doesn't he just doesn't belong on the group. I'm sorry. I just I can't do it with him like. Yeah, I get it. Like I know, I I know. Like 2012 was great, and I loved it. But he just, 
he, and it, it was like 12 games. It wasn't even a full season that he played. So it's just, it's crazy that he could be considered for that. And so many people are like fighting to get him on even the ballot. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. When you're a quarterback, right, the effect of a quarterback uh, is so much greater. You, you said Timmy Smith. Timmy Smith could have had an entire season, 2,000 yards rushing, and it wouldn't have had the same impact uh, that uh, RG3 had in that one year because, you know, what does a quarterback do? It gives you hope. It gives you the uh, the ability to say, hey, we have a franchise guy. We're always going to be in the game. But uh, it, was, it just turned out to be, you know um, – you know, um, fool's gold. And it was just yeah. that one year. That's so exactly right. Yeah. It, it uh, I, I get why there's going to be a lot of, uh, that there was backlash and that there's still probably when they do the voting, there's going to be more backlash. Um, because he meant a lot to a lot of people, which is weird to say, because it was really just one year of production. I mean, I liked RG three. I, I was hoping that he, he panned out and was upset that he didn't, but, um, one year of production is just not enough. It's just yeah. not enough. The hope it made it worse when he flamed out well, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. he just went, you know, from top of the world to just just awful. I mean, he was 14, 20. He didn't even get on the field his last season with the team. He he was a healthy yeah. scratch all 16 games. Yeah. That's like bad. that's yeah, I can't I can't put that guy on my list. So outside of those two, we've talked a lot about those two. There and there's a ton of debate. I'm sure everybody's doing that, but you see anybody who's just like a stone cold 100 percent just locked, like he's getting oh, on this no matter what. Uh, uh, London Fletcher, Stone Cold Lock. Ryan Kerrigan, franchise leader in sacks, Stone Cold Lock. Chris Cooley, fan favorite, productive Pro Bowl tight end. Um, that's a Stone Cold Lock. Um, you said Santana Moss was on the list? Oh, right? yeah, 100%. Yeah, Santana yeah. Moss. Again, another 100% uh, lock for Santana. Um, I know I'm missing somebody that uh, you mentioned, but those guys are just remembering yeah. what you were saying. Those are those are locks for me. I don't I don't really see any argument for them not to be on there. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much that's pretty much my list. The other one I would have would be D'Angelo Hall. Oh, yes. I think he's a local product, and he's yep. yeah, he's as good as he was for as long. Uh, think, think Santana Moss, uh, that's the one that stands out to me. Like I just anybody, I can't like I can see like I can pick at any candidate you put up here, but Santana Moss, I can't think of a single negative thing he did with this team no. that would make me not want him on this list. Like no. it's just it's unbelievable. Like he's like he was I'm kind so of surprised that he's not already on there. Yeah, um, he was so productive. And go back to D'Angelo Hall, like. Think about the kind of second part of his career that he had with us. I mean, before he got to us, he was me, Angelo, right? There was a lot of stuff with him um, from the Falcons, from the Raiders being, you know, kind of a selfish guy. Some of his tackling was, um, you know, kind of uh, criticized. And then he comes here and he changes all of that. He becomes a team first guy. He he brings younger players under his wing. He performs. His tackling um, was really good during his time here, which some people forget, Um you know, outside of the interceptions as well, too. But like, he really had a great second half of his career here in DC, and uh, yeah, absolutely, him, Santana, um, just really good. And really, you'd have to be searching to find a negative. Yeah, the other one, the one that it's a little, it's surprising to me that's not already one of the anniversary team members is Stephen Davis. Now yeah. you're 39; you should be old enough to remember Stephen Davis. Stephen Davis, absolutely productive running back. I mean, uh, I would definitely have him. I, I, I don't know why, you know, he's just making it along with Mike Sellers. Like, I don't uh, – those two are not equal to me. Like, Stephen yeah. Davis absolutely should be on there. Uh, 
excellent, excellent running. Back. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about him getting on the team though because he was eligible for those other anniversary teams, and for whatever reason, he won. He's the, <clears throat> excuse me, he's the fifth leading rusher, no, fourth leading rusher in team history. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, I, I was actually shocked. Like I saw him on the list of candidates, and I was like, why is he not already on? He was. I mean, he was one of the best running backs in the league, and it's not his fault that Steve Spurrier didn't want to run the ball. Like, he just got traded or left the team because they didn't run the ball anymore. But he went on to have some great great years in Carolina. Um, his so, thing yeah. is he's one of those guys who was always quiet, though, right? Like, uh, yeah. with media, I mean, fans liked him, but he was never, like, a big personality. So he just never kind of – uh, I think kind of made the the same mark that some other players who were maybe lesser known or lesser or had lesser production kind of, uh, you know, uh, became household names, even though he had the actual production to back it up year in and year out. So I think that may hurt him some because he just wasn't necessarily a favorite. And I think some people forget about him, honestly. I mean, yeah. the fact that they're remembering Mike Sellers, I think tells you about it because Mike Sellers was more popular with the Vans. He just was. And uh, he doesn't have near the production that um, Stephen Davis did. Yeah, Davis was great. One interesting candidate on this list for me, um, that I think is a really healthy debate, and we should we should launch this on Twitter uh, as well. Champ Bailey as a as Ooh. one of the ninety greatest. It's so that's, that's a that one's so tough because of course he like. How long was he here? Like was he it was five years? years? He played five seasons, ninety nine through no four seasons, ninety nine through 03. Um. So, but those four seasons, he was an elite quarterback, an elite defensive back. Yeah. So that's an interesting, like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, honestly. Yeah. Like it's, that's a tough one for me because he obviously spent the best part of his career elsewhere and yeah. he's going to be a hall of fame player and he's going to go in as, you know, a Denver Bronco, but he was like amazing here. He's another one though that was eligible for the other teams and he, and he didn't get it, but he was also like in his prime of his playing career. So I can kind of see that. Um, I can see why he didn't make it because again, it, it's just four years, and then he spent what twelve plus years or ten plus years in Denver, won a championship in Denver, and I think the last couple of years that he was there, he changed to safety. He actually it was a productive safety at the end as well too. So I mean, really, his career took place there. You know, the four years he had here was really good. So I can see why he lasted a little bit long, but I think ultimately you got to put him on. I mean, he. It wasn't he just wasn't just a guy when he was here. He was excellent. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think he goes on. And I think what's gonna help him here is that there's like I think thirteen slots on the ballot and they're letting ten people on. So I think that's gonna help him get on. Yeah. Um also gonna help another one I, I wanted to just touch on real quick because he's one of the only other ones I really feel like has a good shot at it is and it's Alfred Morris. Well, no, there's actually two more. Sorry, I'm lying all over. But Alfred Morris. Similar player, four years, four excellent years in DC. Yeah. Uh, one of the he's actually, I believe, fifth in rushing all time for the team. Um, but again, only played here four years and went to Dallas. So yeah, is that is that worthy? For me, I don't know. Like I feel like he had the one big year in 2012, 1600 yards, and then each year it um kind of regressed from there. But yeah, they were they were good years. I just don't know if it was good enough um for me to be like, yeah, he's gotta be. Um, he's got to be on there. Uh, yeah. I would say no for me. Really? See, I would. I think he. I think he does get on because he was such a popular player here. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he rushed 
for nearly 5,000 yards, I think, in four seasons. Like, he was legit. Um, but he was also a prototype like Shanahan back who yeah. excels in that system. And then when he's taken out of that system, he just kind of turns really back into yeah. uh, Clark Kent. So that'll be interesting too. But again, he's another one that like, because there's so many, you know, the, the such a high ratio of, of candidates are going to get on only like three or three or four are going to get left off. I think he's well, got a pretty good shot. I think he's like the, the perfect example. We're just talking about Steven Davis, who uh, legitimately was one of the better backs in the NFL during his time. Uh, but just because he wasn't really a fan favorite, it's it's questionable whether he does make it. And we just talked about Alfred Morris where, yeah, he's he's got some numbers, but he's such a huge fan favorite. It's probably almost a lot that he does make it because he is such a likable guy and a lot of fans really love them. So that's kind of crazy, kind of the two ends of it right there. Yeah, he's just that he's also fresher in their mind because he's another 2012. So everybody loves 2012. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the last one I'm curious about your opinion on would be Kirk Cousins. Kurt, Kurt, K U R T, Kurt. Uh, Kirk was a productive starter. Uh, I don't think he was particularly good quarterback. I think he was an average starting quarterback. Um, he won some games here. Uh, uh, it's really hard for me to say yes, but he, he's got production here. He's got, um, you know, uh, a couple of 4,000 yard passing seasons. He's got some 30 plus touchdown seasons here, um, which, you know, we, we don't have that many of, uh, you know, for the entire franchise history. So, you know, from that standpoint, his production says, yeah, he's probably going to get on. Uh, I don't want to make this list. Yeah, I personally would not <laughs> put him on the list, but I think he's going to make the list. Is what I, I think. think. Yeah, I think one, either him or Robert Griffin is going to make the list, and it's neither one of them. I don't think should be on the list. Like wow. Kirk Cousins, you said it, you said it perfectly. There is a difference between statistically yep. good and good, and yeah. Kirk Cousins is the poster child for that statement because it's his good. he just he puts up numbers. He's got the he's got the numbers, but. You know, think about every time, and he's actually why I have pause for like going all in on Carson Wentz because it's similar where he's got the numbers, but then he's also got a long history of like not coming through. You know, when there's like a slam dunk game at the end of the season that you need to win just to get in, and he can't come mm -hmm. through. So that I I am a little concerned about Wentz, but that that's the reason it's Kirk Cousins because I understand that like you know I ten years ago I'd have been like yeah he's got the stats he's got through for three thousand yards he's poor you know. <laughs> Yeah. Now I'm like, yeah, I had Kirk Cousins here. I understand that just because you throw for 4,500 yards and 27 touchdowns doesn't mean you're a good quarterback. Like, yeah. like you're a franchise guy. So I, I don't, yeah, personally want to. I would not like to see Kirk Cousins. I think he makes it, or one of those two will make it. I think yeah. I think Robert Griffin has a better chance of making it than Kirk Cousins, just because people he has a stronger following. They're both kind of polarizing, I think. But yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think if you combine those two into like one person, you know. Uh, Kirk and uh, Robert, just combine them as one player, then I think you could get them yeah. on the list. Robert's personality with Kirk's production, sure, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I think, you know, by the time 2017 rolled around, we couldn't, like, everybody was just like, bye, Kirk. And every, you know, nobody was really, like, <clears throat> there were some people holding on. We should have kept him or whatever. But, you know, yeah. it was clear he didn't want to be here, yep. uh, even though he said he wanted to be where he was wanted and all that nonsense. I just – I don't see it. So, yeah. anyway, uh, I think, yeah. Right. I agree. He uh, he's got production, but uh, I, for me, I don't think uh, uh, I would put him on for me. But I think he ends up making it, though. Yeah, just because again, there's 13 guys. So I know that um, we're 
you know, that we've kind of touched on all the ones that are probably going to make it. There's a few other guys like, like I have very fond childhood members of like Daryl Grant. Like I remember that dude, like it was yesterday. I don't know that he makes this team personally just because, uh, you know, there's already a, like Dexter Manley, Charles Mann, Dave Butts are already on there. They were the other three yeah. defensive linemen during his era. I, I don't know. Um, like Larry Pecatello. Like, see, a, I would have Larry, uh, I would have Daryl Grant on there before, I even consider Alfred Morris. Like to me, those two aren't, really? aren't the same. Yeah. I think he was much more impactful than the yards that, um, that Alfred gave us. And again, Alfred had that one big year and then his yards declined every year afterwards. So really? I, would, I would have him more than I would put in Alfred. Like to me, Alfred is, I, I don't see it, but I, again, he's, he does have the production from the, the Shanahan's game. So I, I get that. That is interesting. So you're a Daryl Grant guy. Yeah. Well, now we got to go through the rest of them because now I, I need to know your opinion on these. Because, <laughs> well, some yeah. of them I'm not going to know. Like the Peck, uh, uh, what, what's his name? Peck Larry Pecatello. Yeah. I have no idea. It's I, funny. I don't at all. Like I've, I've, you know, I grew up during the 80s, you know, and I have, like, I remember like hearing Larry Pecatello, but I know what he did yeah. with the team. Um, and like, <laughs> excuse me. If you ask, like if I ask you, who was the defensive coordinator under Joe Gibbs, what are you going to say? Uh, Pettibone is what i Exactly. I'm yeah. So he was co-defensive coordinator with Richie Pettibone, but everybody remembers Richie Pettibone. Nobody remembers Larry Pecatello. Was, you know, he was here. I'm sure he did a great job. I just don't see him no. being on there. And that's that's kind of where I'm at with like Laverne Torgerson, who I went back and did a little bit of research on Torgerson. This yeah. dude 100% deserves it. I just don't think he's going to make it because it's, he's Laverne Torgerson uh, from 40 years ago, right? Yeah. But I mean, if you go through his time with a team, uh, and like I said, we're going to put out a we're going to put out a, a, a an article on this, uh, you know, to to kind of coincide with this, so you'll see you'll see kind of what I'm what I'm talking about with that. Um, yeah, who do, who 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 else are we missing here? There was oh Chip Low Miller. Chip, oh, Chip. that's hands down. That's hands down. Okay. Yeah, I need you to read my article. Yeah. <laughs> Chip Lowmiller, I think, yeah, I think if you go name recognition, sure. Um, I think our memories of him are probably inflated, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, I remember him in 91. I remember him as one of the top kickers. Yeah. And then I went back and looked, and I was like, man, okay. Uh, so we'll see. He's another one, though, that had, they had, it's already been up for it twice, been up for the other two anniversary teams. So I'm not he sure won, about him. He won an NFL MVP one year, right? No, that was Mark Mosley. Oh, okay. I know they all look alike to you, but yeah, it was Mark. It was Mark Mosley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All kickers look alike. Yeah, no, Mosley is on the team, and he should be. He's he's right, you know yeah. he's the best kicker. But yeah, Low Miller. Well, you know, I, I'm not so sure on Low Miller at this point. Um, yeah, we talked about Joe Lavender. Really good career. I just don't know that he's got the yeah. that he's got the recognition for it. Uh, Torgerson. Yeah, I think that's everybody. Um, I'm gonna make sure we talk Cooley. Yeah, Cooley's a lock. The only other thing uh, I would ask is like, do you, does anybody stand out not on the list that maybe you think could be on the list? Do you remember, like I'm putting you on the spot with this. So if you don't have an answer, it's fine. No. Um, John Jansen, John Jansen. He's you know, on I'm the, uh, he's already on the 80. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. uh, my, my default is always to go to offensive lineman. My next guy was Trey Johnson, but um, yeah, that's a good one. See, Trey's a good one. He's not on yeah. there. I think uh, my my favorite Trey Johnson quote was uh, it, it's really difficult trying to move another 300 pound man against his will right like that's uh, that's uh, one of my uh, uh, favorite quotes but um, yeah I think those two are probably the ones that I'm like yeah th they should be on there Trey Johnson uh, I'm trying to think of some other guys uh, who should be on there um, 
I don't know off the top of my head. What What about you? Do you have anybody that? Uh, yeah, didn't... Trey Johnson was definitely one of mine. I had a couple, okay. but Trey Johnson was actually one of the first ones I thought about too. He's not. A, I had to go through the list and kind of scan it. Right. Um, he had. A, he was a really good. He was uh, easily our best offensive lineman during that mid '90s where we were down. That mid '90s period, that like that North Turner era, I kind of compare to the area era that like Joe Lavender played in, where like nobody really enjoyed the football at the time so because the teams weren't very good um but there were some some very good players and he was a standout player on that team for us he was a, a legit offensive lineman the other one i came up with that i would put uh especially over somebody like a mike sellers would be lorenzo alexander oh um yes alexander was a guy who just undrafted like sellers but really just did everything like he played a different position every season he, you know, he moved, he was a team guy. He was a captain for years. Like he's a guy that I, I like if, again, you know, the numbers probably aren't there if you're looking at like a pure stats thing, but from like a recognition, like you remember like a face of the team, he was really a face of the team uh, starting under Joe Gibbs and really going all the way until, uh, you know, 2011 when the salary cap became an issue. No, that, uh, that was the perfect guy. Uh, Lorenzo Alexander, the one man gang. Um, he, yeah, you're right. He did everything. He's what I think uh, Mike Sellers, you know, should have been right. Being able to do all of those different things and excel at them. And then he left and went to Buffalo and then turned himself into a legitimate pass rusher and ended up having double digit sacks and made a pro bowl there uh, as well, too. So he wasn't just a special teams uh, player. He he became a legitimate contributor on defense. Um, but yes, he was great. And I felt bad for him for some of those years because, like, some years they were like, hey, we need you to be 270 pounds. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these other years they were like, we need you to be 230. And, uh, I mean, he just did whatever was necessary, and he played well. He always performed, came up with big plays uh, when they were needed. So, absolutely, he should be on there, certainly more than uh, some of the guys who were mentioned. Yeah, so – um, and one other guy that I thought, but he's definitely in the Mike Sellers category was, uh, Kedrick Golston. Um, but he's sort of like, I, I don't know that I'd put it, I, you know, if like, like I said, if guys like Mike Sellers and RG three are on the ballot, then Kedrick Golston should at least be on the ballot. I don't know that he makes it, but he was, a he was just a guy that was here against all odds for years. Yeah. But again, the, the numbers, I, he's almost like a Daryl Grant where like the, the numbers really aren't there. He's just a dude that, like, I remember that guy. He was good. I, he played for years. He was, you know. So um, one of those guys where uh, he they got to create like an award just for him of how not to get cut because he lasted through yeah. he had like what seven head coaches I mean he lasted through so many regimes uh, uh, Kendrick Golston but uh, and like the coaching equivalent to him would be Randy Jordan like he has lasted through yeah. how different head coaches but he somehow is still here so those guys well may not have gotten the the best production. They whatever they did, they they found a way to stuck uh, stick around, and that was uh, probably their best ability because they lasted so long. All right, so that's our that's our ninetieth anniversary team uh, preview. Um, please, you know, let us know on Twitter uh, in the comments. Uh, let us know what you guys think. How you know what an idiot I am for comparing RG three to Timmy Smith? I'm fine with it. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I said we're going to release a uh, we're going to release a, a written piece to go along with this um, as well. So please check that out on our site. Um, Brian, you got anything? I know you had some things that you wanted to touch on tonight as well. 
Yeah, uh, and just so everybody knows, Eric will be uh, releasing that article. It'll be on WFTDeclassified.com. So if you don't know, go subscribe to our website. That way, as soon as Eric releases that article, you'll get a notification and you'll be able to read his thoughts on all of those uh, players, uh, that whole new class there. So, uh, yeah, something I had... um, uh, read or as a tweet, uh, one of the uh, commanders, uh, writers, team writers, um, tweeted something out earlier this week, um, or maybe it was last week, um, about Ron Rivera's a quote he had about uh, the defense, and it was that uh, Ron Rivera wanted the defense to be more adaptable, uh, especially to the three wide receiver sets and four wide receiver sets. And I thought this was interesting, you know, given everything that happened with Jack Del Rio and his comments, it just felt like, you know, Rivera subtly was just letting, you know, Rivera know you need to do better. Um, You know, when he says, when in that quote where Rivera says uh, three wide receiver sets, well, guess what? The NFL uses three wide receiver sets on just about every play. It's like 75% of the NFL uses three wide receivers uh, as a, uh, a majority of their game plan. So we're not talking about, uh, you know, a, uh, um, a one or two plays a game. We're talking about something that is heavily used. And for him to, you know, point out something so obvious, um, especially in the media, uh, about his defense of uh, his defense in general and the person leading that defense that they need to pay more attention to something that is so obvious, I thought was important. And I thought was, uh, you know, I think Rivera usually says, hey, there are things that are, um, are interesting or the things that are important. And I thought that was important uh, because it was so blatant, um, you know, uh, of a concept there. But uh, I don't know. Do, do you think that's just kind of eh, nothing to it? Or do you think there's a little bit more to it? No, anytime your head coach suggests in the media something that you need to be better at. I think it's time to, you know, we need to listen. It's kind of like being in the office and your, you know, senior director is hinting at the, you know, project that you're working on could be doing better. Like you have to pay attention to that because he's calling you out uh, in front of people. And I think Ron has uh, a very subtle uh, gift at doing that in the media of just kind of using that as a, as a ploy to kind of get the word out that he's not happy about something or that he's, ready to work. I saw, I think we saw it in the Terry McLaurin negotiations uh, as well, where he's just like, we want him here. We want him to be here. Yep. And it's, you know, it's the same type of thing. He's putting, kind of pushing the, you know, putting the pressure, you know, on the other, you know, on the other side, I think he's doing that here with Del Rio. Um, and let's be honest, the defense was a struggle, struggled for the most part last year. And, you know, you said it three wide receiver sets of, you need to get better against multiple wide receivers. Yeah. It's today's NFL. Yeah. Uh, Of course you need to be better about it. So if he has to say that, you know, he's, I think he is, I think he is calling out. I'm not sure Del Rio's job is in jeopardy at this point, but I think if the, you know, season goes the way it did last year, he's, yeah, I don't think he'll be here. Um, But I think he's, yeah, he's definitely calling him out. Yeah, uh, but I think he's doing it in a way that gives Del Rio a chance to come through and save his job. No, I uh, I completely agree. Uh, Rivera is definitely not one of those guys who kind of uses um, you know double talk or coded language. I mean, I think he's he's pretty straightforward. Is he going to be heavy handed with it? No. Uh, and I think this is. Uh, I mean, if you if you pay attention, Rivera usually tells you what he wants or what he's looking for, or what he's not happy with. I mean, last season, uh, I mean, how many times did he tell us uh, he thought the maturity level of the defense just wasn't there? And we saw it play out with how bad the defense was week in and week out. And I think he's telling us here right now, you know, uh, the defense, you, you, you better fix some of these 
glaring issues that you had last year, in particular three and four wide receiver sets. So um, I like it because I was very upset with uh, kind of how bad the defense was after, you know, they had told us all offseason how good they were going to be. So uh, hopefully they listen in particular Del Rio and he does make some changes uh, because we need it. Um, if we uh, if we're going to have ourselves a season, that defense cannot be dead last on third downs. It's it, they, they just can't be. They've got to be much better than that. Yeah. And he could be he could be talking to Chris Harris as well. He could be talking to, oh, uh, yes. you know, Bobby McCain. That would that would make you happy, oh. uh, <laughs> Troy Aki. Oh, if, so, yeah. if only I was so lucky. Um, uh, hopefully, he's talking to Sam Wells because I think if anybody outside of Del Rio on that defense, uh, coaching wise, is um, on the hot seat, it, it's got to be Sam Mills. I mean, if you look about uh, at the talent disparity from the defensive line to the other positions, I mean, the most talent is on the defensive line, and we've probably got the less production out of that group um, as opposed to some of the others. So uh, hopefully Sam Mills is paying attention too. Yeah, maybe we'll see another subtle call out about how the defensive line needs to get better at playing the run, making tackles, and getting sacks yep. and getting pressures. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the other things to come out uh, this week are – you know, everybody's favorite football game. I know my favorite. I still play it to this day. Madden. Uh, Terry McLaurin's uh, ranking in Madden just came out, and I was actually shocked. Uh, it was a 91, which is really good. And, uh, I mean, you know, when you – you know, obviously Madden's not a, a true indicator of anybody's talent or anything like that. But given the way McLaurin is kind of um, – you know, maybe downgraded by national media and the NFL, I would have thought that, uh, you know, Madden would have had it rated lower, but uh, they got him rated, I think, pretty high, pretty actually probably where he is, which is a 91, which wasn't the top, but uh, was right up there with some of those guys. So is that is I, I'm a video game novice. I don't I don't play. So I, uh, you have to talk to me like I'm a child here. But <laughs> so is that like a composite score of like multiple different categories or is it like yeah. you? Yep. OK, so, so he's got like 100 speed or a 95 speed and an 86. Yeah, so all, all they released was that his overall was a 91. If 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 other attributes ratings were released, I didn't see them. So if uh, if you guys out there listening uh, know what his other attributes are, what uh, what rating those are, you know, tweet us, let us know. Um, but yeah, they released the overall rating and that's 91 for like a receiver. They have a catch rating. They have a speed rating, agility, strength, awareness. Um, they have a um, jump rating, special catch rating. So, you know, hey, is this guy known to do one-handed catches? They have those types of ratings and things like that on their offensive linemen. They have a pass block, run block rating, that kind of thing. So where was he ranked over? Was he like top 10 in the NFL, top five in the NFL as far as Madden? Madden? And it, what's funny is it always like this story catches me off guard every year and how big it is. And it always, again, not playing video games, like I just don't get it. So I don't like to mock, but it's just like, wow, people really get into this. Like I see players arguing about it. So, so like, where was his ranking among like receivers or overall players? I want to say he was number eight in the NFL. Devontae Adams was a 99. He was the only 99 on there. And then I don't remember the other list of guys in between them, but Devontae Adams was number one. Terry was eight. AJ Brown was not on there uh, or um, he wasn't in the top 10, I should say. I'm sure he, he could be 11 or 12 uh, in terms of his rating, but uh, he was not uh, above Terry. So that uh, I found that interesting uh, as well. But uh, yeah, Madden is a, uh, I mean, for me growing up, 
uh, when the new Madden came out, it was like me and my friends trying to find money so we could go and buy uh, the new Madden and then play it for hours and hours on end. So it is certainly, um, you know, ingrained in a lot of people my age um, to play Madden and to get Madden. I still get it to this day, even though I don't play near as much as I did when I was uh, younger uh, because, you know, I've got a job and a family and all those kinds of things to uh, to do and take care of. But uh, it's still fun for me and um i still play it today and i love playing the cowboys and beating them 70 to nothing in madden every time so i used to do in tecmo super bowl but i would yeah. have to be the houston oilers i couldn't be the i couldn't be the redskins they weren't good enough they were really good but i couldn't play with them because they they weren't good the houston <laughs> oilers that was my tecmo bowl team everybody went everybody fought over bo jackson oh the oilers man they had warren moon yeah. and like the four oh, receivers good, okay. All right. And you just, yeah, you had to fix the pass plays just right, but you could, you could put a hundred points a game up easy. <laughs> it was great. So anyway, that's my, that's, that tells you how old I am and, and my level of video game uh, skill. So good on Terry. Do we have anybody else with high Madden ratings or they, is it, are they like letting them trickle out like the schedule release and all that stuff? Yeah, they, they are. They just did, uh, I think, uh, either today, yesterday, whatever day it was, uh, the uh, wide receivers. So okay. I imagine uh, quarterbacks will be soon, um, running backs, uh, defensive players, that kind of thing will be coming out here soon. So, uh, But, yeah, just the wide receivers from what, uh, what I saw. Okay. Well, I look forward to uh, arguing about Carson Wentz being a 40 or whatever. Uh, oh, I think, they, I, think I saw – uh, I, I think this was may, maybe from the last year's game. I think he was like an 80 or a 79 or something like that. It was somewhere, it was, um, it, it was pretty low. It wasn't, uh, so that's low 80. This is out yeah. of 100, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it, so most I'm thinking players, out of like QBR or something, like I don't know. Yeah. So most players, um, like really bad ones could be like a 54. I don't think I've seen one below 50. Uh, I mean, Where they're my sellers be. Mike Sellers <laughs> would be a probably go back to like Madden 04 and find out, right? Yeah. He'd yeah. be like a 68 or something like that. I mean, uh, his, his speed wouldn't be great. He'd be good at blocking, but that would probably be about it, not catching or doing anything else. So All right. today, today's Madden fact lesson. There you go. You, yep. You've piqued my interest. I might have to go out and buy a Sega Genesis and start with Madden 95 and, and move up. Was, that <laughs> hey, what that was, was, was it on a Genesis or was it an N64 or something? Um, had 95. No, that was uh, that 95 would have been uh, probably Sega Genesis, but uh, that one, know in my games, that one for certain would have uh, John Madden on it and uh, still calling the uh, using his voice to uh, oh, was he not doing that anymore? No, it's like Chris Collinsworth or somebody who's on there now, like uh, he, he gave it up a long time ago. I mean, Madden's voice hasn't been on there in years. Well, yeah, he's he died, so that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, it would make a lot of sense, but they don't call it Co Collinsworth. 22 nobody no, would buy that no, nobody would buy no. that <laughs> they'd probably ask for a refund if that was the case now here's a game <laughs> yeah. uh, all right so last thing to touch on real quick um uh ellie gave us homework so fan uh no gate revenue uh report came out this week and washington was number 31 last year what? out of 32 teams just ahead of the detroit lions behind jacksonville which is about one sixtieth the size of the DC metro area. Um, yeah, air like small market teams. There's not there's not a lot of small market like legit small markets in the NFL. But Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Arizona, all qualify, and Washington was below them uh, in ticket revenue last year. So um, 
should we be concerned <laughs> that nobody's going to our games? Um, no, I mean, we haven't been very good. Uh, and when you, you start to win, the fans will come back. Uh, there's also revenue sharing. So, um, which is a le legitimate specific reason to guard against some of these teams, uh, some of these owners who have these teams who are performing poorly from then being looked at as, Hey, we've got to do something with that owner because they're not winning because you know, the owners, you know, how much ever we may dislike them are smart and they don't like losing money and they don't like, um, having things that give them power taken away. Uh, and they understand it, NFL teams are the long game, right? There could be an eight-year stretch where you're awful, and there could be a seven-year stretch where you're really good. Um, but a lot of that is factors that sometimes are outside of your control, like, hey, I hit on a six-round pick in uh, Tom Brady, and I have the next great quarterback for 20 years. Or I draft RG3, and I just get one year of production uh, out of it. So um, with that revenue sharing, they, they all get plenty of money. Um, yeah. Is it concerning that, um, you know, we, we fall into that place? Sure. Um, one or two good seasons. Uh, I mean, really good. Not a not a nine and eight season, not a 10 and seven season. I mean, we've got to win 11, 12, 13 type games a couple of years in a row. And I, I think all that goes to the wayside. Yeah, I, I definitely understand why they're trying to build a 55,000 seat stadium in Prince William now, because if, you know, they can't fill a 70,000 or however many we've got now. Uh, you know, you can only build so many party decks at this point. Um, and, you know, the, the worst thing I can think of is because some of those games were like crazy empty last year is would it be awful to get your local game blacked out? Like because there are still blackout rules in, in effect, even for the NFL, which never, you know, doesn't you know, it doesn't happen very often. But it, it has happened in places like Jacksonville in that in, in recent yep. years where they have actually had their games blackout locally. So you've got, you know, the D.C. metro area can't watch its team play because not enough people are showing up at the game. So this is something to keep your eye on. Yeah. I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think if we can turn it around with a few more wins, we can get around that. But being behind, you know, Charlotte and Jacksonville, uh, you know, and Cincinnati is a little scary. Obviously, Cincinnati had the great run last year, but still, you yeah. know, you really don't want to be when you're a top, you're like the number six or eight market at this point in the, in the, you know, DC is a huge metro area, a huge market, yeah. and you're behind Cincinnati that's like 25. That's yeah. not good. And I don't even know if the market stuff even matters at this point. I mean, D.C. area is a big market, but it's also a transient area more so than a lot of these other markets. So a lot of the people who are coming into this area are already fans of other teams. And then they're here for three, four years and then they move, uh, you know, somewhere else. And it's another you know batch of people who move in with you know their own ties to other teams and things like that. So while it is big, uh, I think, you know, by nature of the area itself, I just don't know if that means. Uh, what it used to mean because it is so transient and there are so many people moving in and moving out of this area. And then um, the other thing is, I mean, the NFL has, uh, they their product is great for TV. Like watching a football game on TV is excellent. And I mean, TVs are cheap now. You can get a 55 inch 4K TV for like $430. Uh, and you can have an excellent experience watching the game at home and you don't have to deal with any uh, drunk people. And uh, the food is cheaper. There's more beer and the bathroom is right next to you. I mean, so uh, I don't think that is going to change. I think the, the days of that 100,000 seat stadium um, in the NFL anyways, are probably limited. I think you're going to see a lot more teams go to, you know, with a, the design that we saw for the commanders, that 55,000, that 60,000 seat kind of uh, uh, more intimate setting that's got more amenities around it. 
yeah, keep your eye on it. Um, you know, go to games if you can. I guess that's the best way to, the best way to put it. But it was sure help that the team was watchable and make it a lot more fun to go to games. All right, so that's what we got for this week. Um, any final thoughts, Brian, before we head out? Final thoughts are: I need training camp to get here now. Uh, I am so ready to see Terry McLaurin on the field. I am so ready to see Jahan Dotson. Uh, I'm ready to see Carson Wentz. I wasn't excited about him um, to start, but I think he's got some weapons here. I think we can protect him. I think we can uh, give him uh, the support that he needs. Uh, I'm hoping the defense will look a, bit, a little bit better. But, uh, hey, this is the time that uh, optimism abounds, uh, and uh, we, we we always win uh, this part of the uh, the year. So uh, I'm ready for training camp. I'm ready to see what uh, what these guys look like and what this offense can do. Yeah, this time next week, I think we'll be talking about training camp actually happening. That's a good thing. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you. I want. Uh, I'm, I can't wait for the season to get here. The July is just the worst time of year to, to watch sports. Um, not that there isn't stuff on. It's just I'm not super interested in watching anything yeah. uh, in July. I'm just looking forward. It's like, you know, the countdown to Christmas is coming. So I'm excited. Uh, so that's our show tonight. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. Ellie's going to be back next week to keep us in line. But uh, if you are listening and you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Uh, we're on all your podcatchers. Uh, and if you're out there and if you have subscribed, leave us a, a review and a rating. A five-star review and a rating bumps us up. It gives us you know, more ability to uh, be found in the searches. So please do that if you can. Uh, hit us up on YouTube. Uh, we're, we're gaining subscribers on YouTube. We'd love that. Um, but we would love to hit 1,000 by the time the season starts. I, don't, I think that's, a, that's an achievable goal. I think so we can do it. I think we can do it. So let's get to a thousand subscribers by week one. That's our goal uh, on YouTube and uh, check us out. Leave your comments, hit us up on Twitter. You got our Twitter handles right here. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm E T R O D four two. Brian is at Mr. Who with two O's one and make sure you subscribe to the website. WFT declassified.com. It's free to do. We've got a ton of articles up there that you can read. They're all quick reads, one, two, three minutes. Uh, we've got some cool interviews, some things that are just exclusive uh, to the website and subscribe to it because Eric is dropping his article about the 90 greatest commanders uh, and you won't want to miss it. There's a lot of information in there about some of the older players as well as some of the newer ones. Uh, so make sure you go and check that out and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. He said it himself. Peace out homies. <laughs>